0: Our scripture this morning comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2. I am reading it from the message version in insanely small font, so bear with me. Concentrate on doing your best for God, work you won't be ashamed of, laying out the truth plain and simple. Stay clear of pious talk that's only talk. Words are not mere words, you know. If they're not backed by a godly life, they accumulate as poison in the soul. Hymenius and Philetus are examples, throwing believers off stride and missing the truth by a mile by saying the resurrection is over and done with. Meanwhile, God's firm foundation is as firm as ever. These sentences engraved on the stones, God knows who belongs to him. Spurn evil, all you who name God as God. In a well-furnished kitchen, there are not only crystal goblets and silver platters, but waste cans and compost buckets. Some containers used to serve fine meals, others to take out the garbage. Become the kind of container God can use to present any and every kind of gift to his guests for their blessing.
1: Good to have you all here today. It's winter in Edmonton. And uh, we've been away for a couple of weeks, had a couple of uh, great weeks together as a family, and it's always good when you get some family downtime and can relax and can enjoy uh, one another, uh, but good to be back home. I took a shower on Monday morning, not that I hadn't taken a shower in the last couple of weeks, but uh, just to be clear, uh, only to discover that uh, the... Water wasn't draining out the shower stall. started puddling at my feet. And uh, I knew something wasn't right. And after an overdose of uh, liquid plumber, still no results. It was a bit mystifying for one plumber, uh, and he didn't have the tools, but finally the second plumber got to the bottom of it, literally with these, one of these clean-out snake gizmos, you know, that goes a long ways back there, and there was a blockage. I'm not sure what the blockage was. could have been a toy or something. Who knows? But uh, before the mystery was solved, there was a lot of rehearsing of scenarios. Uh, could be this. It could be this. It could be fixed this way. It could be fixed that way. And one of the problems was that they, when they built the house, they didn't include any clean-out drains. Or if they did, they're extremely well hidden behind finished walls and no one can find them. So it was a bit mysterious how to fix the problem, but eventually the problem was rectified and the shower drains again. So that's a wonderful thing. It reminded me of the story of Peter Marshall, the U.S. chaplain to the Senate years ago. I love to tell the story of the keeper of the spring a story about a man who lived high above the Austrian Alps uh, in the eastern slopes. And the old gentleman had been hired many years before by a young town council to clear away the debris from a pool of water up in the mountain that uh, fed the lovely spring flowing through their town. And it was his job to clear the branches and the leaves and that would contaminate the fresh flow of water. And the crystal clear water just flowed down the mountains. It was beautiful. It was a very attractive hamlet. Uh, People loved going there. Lots of tourists would flock in because this is a beautiful spot in the Alps. Uh, But one night at a town council meeting, one man said, you know, why do we pay this old man to keep the spring clean? We don't even know him. I think we could save a few dollars on our budget if we would just take this man's off the payroll. And so they released him, and for several weeks, of course, nothing changed, but by early autumn, the the, the trees began to shed their leaves, and small twigs uh, snapped off and, and fell into the pool, hindering the the, the flow down through the, the town. And then one afternoon, somebody noticed a kind of a slight yellowish tone to the water. Before long, there was a slimy film that covered sections of the water along the banks, and Then a foul odor was detected, and swans left the area as well as the tourists, and disease and sickness became more rampant. And quickly the embarrassed council called a special meeting. Realizing their error in judgment, they hired back the old keeper of the spring. And within a few weeks, that water of life began to clear up, and new life returned to that little town in the in the Alps once again. Evaluation, as someone has said, is the mother of improvement. If necessity is the mother of invention, then evaluation is the mother of improvement. Any thoughts about improving your life in 2012? There are some things in my life that I can certainly sharpen up on, and I hope to attack them in 2012. When the water gets a little murky and a foul odor is detected, we put on our evaluation glasses and we say, what's happening here? What's happening in my life? Why is this backing up? Let's check this out. Do you have a keeper of the spring in your life? Someone who helps you in the process of becoming what you want to become? Someone who helps you clear away the debris so the water of life flows freely through your life so that it blesses others and raises others up. Someone who is an encourager. I dare say that we all need someone uh, who's the keeper of the spring in our lives. Uh, someone who will, uh, we invite into our lives. Someone who we welcome into our lives to be that person in our lives who helps keeps us being the best person we can possibly be. And I dare say when we ignore their advice and say, why do I need them? Why do I have them in my life? Eventually, we begin to see pieces of our lives begin to crumble or get tainted somehow, a little odor somewhere in our life. We're just not the man or woman we could possibly be. Wherever you go today, the service industry is asking you to evaluate their performance. Just uh, even the customs officers handed us a couple of forms on our way back in to Edmonton, and they wanted us to evaluate how they're doing. A couple of rough-looking dogs looking at you. What are you going to do but take those, uh, those forms and say, I'd be glad to fill them out? But we had a chance to evaluate. We get a chance to say what's on our minds. We get letters regularly from the automobile industry asking how satisfied we are with their product. This past week was the Detroit Auto Show, rolling out the new vehicles for the coming year. We hear that the, the cars will tilt toward an even stronger European design. The cars will be a little smaller, and the price tag will try to hold so that there's not more money going out for cost of automobile in our, our families. And, of course, efficiency is the name of the game. Uh, better fuel mileage and, and so on and so on. And I think the automobile industry has done remarkably well of reinventing themselves in these last couple of years when times have been so tough. When a teacher or a professor teaches a class they often ask for an evaluation at the end of their class so that the next time they teach the same course, they can do an even better job. Somebody fed them a comment and they say, oh, I could, I could pick up on that. The people who I see are stretching and growing in their journey are the people who are open to the process of evaluation in their lives. They welcome people in their lives who care enough about them to give them counsel, to affirm them, to encourage them, to show them their blind spots, and to keep them accountable. If you fail to evaluate, you slow down your growth progress. What's involved in evaluation? I just want to give you some things this morning as we start this new year and take you to the scripture in a a couple of different settings to illustrate the ingredients of evaluation. And the one thing that comes to my heart and my mind is to double-check the words that we use. To double-check the words that we use. might be helpful counsel as we start 2012. Sometimes we need to evaluate what we say. The words we use. And maybe even how we say what we say. Our words have tremendous power. And whether we want to believe this or not, we give life to what they're saying, either good or bad. You sometimes hear people saying, oh, nothing good ever happens to me. I'd never be successful. I don't have what it takes. I can't do it. I'll never get myself out of this mess. Some people even call themselves names. I hear this plumber saying to himself, oh, you idiot. You never do anything right. Whether they know it or not, they're guiding their lives in a certain trajectory. Words are similar to seeds. By speaking them aloud, they are planted in our subconscious minds. And they take on a life of their own. They take root and they grow and they produce fruit of the same kind. If we speak positive words, our lives will move in that direction. If we speak negative words, our lives will produce poor results. We reap what we sow. Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And you will eat the fruit thereof. I love what David did when he faced the giant Goliath. He didn't murmur and complain and say, God, why do I always have these huge problems in my life? David just looked at Goliath right in the eye and he said, You come against me with a sword and a shield, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Now those are words of faith. He spoke the words aloud. He spoke directly to Goliath. And he said, I will defeat you and I will feed your flesh to the birds of this air this very day. And with God's help, he did that very thing evaluate your words double check the words that you're using are they words that beat up on yourself are they words that bring life there's definitely a place for affirmation and encouragement proverbs chapter 15 verse 13 reads a man finds joy in giving an apt reply and how good is a timely word proverbs 12:25 Good words can make an anxious heart glad. Words are important. They have very real power. James warns us that although the tongue tongue is a small part of the body, it has the power to determine the whole course of human existence. What powerful words. It's a very small member of the family, but it has the power to determine the course of human existence. Larry Crabb tells the story of standing by the finish line at many track meetings, waiting for his son to come, straining down the last stretch of a two-mile run. The son would be so tired that he would nearly collapse before he reached the finish line. And the parents would all be there cheering for their kids to make it to the finish line. And punchy, out-of-shape dads would take up the cry, come on, come on, only a few more yards to go, and you can do it, you're doing great, come on, you're going to make it. And most of the young athletes would just have to look at their parents and look them at at, from a distance, and that would be the inspiration that they needed to step it up a little bit and make it to the finish line. He writes, I've never yet heard a father call out to his son or daughter during that final stretch, you look tired. Why don't you quit? Maybe running isn't your sport. Why don't you give it up? We would never say that. We would never say that. I uh, I read the story of a student who participated in a worship service. And, you know, sometimes when you get in front of people, you get a little nervous. He got real nervous when it was his turn to pray. To pray. And he said, I, I got all confused to the point of heresy in my praying. He said, I remember thanking the Father for hanging on the cross, praising Christ for triumphantly bringing the Spirit from the grave. And Stuttering throat, he said, I finally thought of the word amen, sat down. He said, I recall staring at the floor, too embarrassed to look around, and solemnly vowing never again to pray or to speak in front of a group. He said, when the service was over, I... I just wanted to get out, you know, like just just get me out of here, not talk to anybody. But an older Christian man intercepted me, put his arm around me, and I remember thinking to myself, here it comes. I'm going to get corrected for my theology. He said, I then listened to this godly gentleman speak words that I can repeat verbatim today more than 20 years later. He said, son, there's one thing I want you to know. You have a great heart. Whatever you do for the Lord, I'm behind you a thousand percent. I believe God has great things in store for you. And then he walked away. This man said, when I think of that incident in my life, I've yet to tell that story without at least mildly choking Those words were life words. They had power. They reached deep into my being. My resolve never again to speak publicly weakened instantly. And I was back on track. Parents, you give life to your kids. You give life to your kids as you speak into their hearts and you believe in them. And you remind them what gifts they are from God and how God has blessed them and will use them. Teachers, you have an amazing role. You'll never be forgotten by the students who come through your class. And just think, you've the privilege that you've given them a little piece of you. You've seen a quality in their lives and, and you've affirmed it. And who knows what dividends that will pay in the years that will follow. Part of evaluation is affirming and encouraging. We can never do that enough. Do you have someone in your life that you're pouring into? I hope you encourage them. I hope that when they step out and they take a risk and they wonder if they're on solid ground that you come along, you put your hand upon their shoulder, and you affirm them. Say you're behind them a thousand percent. Those are words of life that reach deeply into the hearts of people. So the words we speak, always evaluating. Secondly, growing in guidance. Part of our of evaluation is sharing wise counsel. To strengthen the person that you're helping in their growth journey. Jesus was continually evaluating and teaching his men. Turn to Mark chapter six, verse thirty. I want you to see, first of all, how Jesus captured the teachable moment of life and, and used this moment to instruct his men. Teachable moments. And you know, you'll you'll find that you are surrounded by dozens of teachable moments all through life. And there will be a host of them in 2012 that will come your way. They'll have your name on it. And you will be stronger and more effective because you hang on to the teachable moments and you become aware of them. Mark chapter 6 verse 30 says the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I mean, that's so good. Remember his disciples came back from their very first short-term mission excursions and they were pumped. And you know how Jesus responds? Almost like, great guys, I'm glad to hear that you had a great time. He said, now come with me for a little while, and you need to get some rest. (laughs) Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do, although it doesn't sound very spiritual, is just to go to bed and get some rest. Just kind of get your physical built back up again. But isn't this interesting that they were so charged, they probably wanted to head right back out there, skip supper, just get back at it. And Jesus cautions them, and he says to them, it's time to come away and to rest. And he was teaching them a principle here about balance in life. He knew that they would burn themselves out if they didn't know how to strike balance in their lives. So it's a teachable moment. It's easy to become so busy, so involved, so hurried, that we don't have time to deepen ourselves. And Jesus knew that when he was gone, this would be an important message that he would need to put into the hearts of his men. And so that they would teach it again to the next generation and to the next generation so he taught them the balance of coming away and resting and being renewed. Teach your family that. Teach the people around you that lesson. Help them to know balance in their lives. That's a very tough lesson to learn. Take advantage of the teachable moments that God gives to you. And then there's another aspect of guidance that's important in the evaluation process and it's in Mark chapter 9 verse 38. When we're struggling with a relational difficulty with someone else, the people that we have alongside of us can be very helpful in giving us insight and perspective on how to deal with the situation. And Mark chapter 9 verse 38 is a story about intolerance. Remember the story? Teacher said, John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop. Because he was not one of us, do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. The disciples had a very narrow perspective in ministry. I mean, if they weren't doing it, it wasn't valid. Lord, we told him to stop. Because he's not one of us. And Jesus challenged that statement. I think that's very important and very hard. Very hard to challenge statements that are out of place. You don't have to bowl somebody over, you don't have to be rude, but you can help establish perspective. Jesus didn't let them get away with their thinking, he said, Give a little space, don't stop him. Whoever is not against us is for us. And you know, I think the further along we go in ministry, the more we realize that there is great diversity within the body of Christ. We don't all do it the same way, and that's okay. Christ looks at our heart more than he does at our methodology. He looks at how we deal with people, our relationships, just as much as what we do. I've I've often heard it said that the people who are successful in business today are not successful simply because of their business skills, but because they know how to handle people and relational irritations. Some of my uh, greatest learning experiences have been from people who have shared hard words with me. Was it ever hard to receive a tough word and to process it and to try not to get defensive about it, but just to hear it? I don't know if I've told you about the first sermon I ever preached when we came to Edmonton, Many years ago. And uh, it was the very first sermon. And I was, uh, I was meeting all these people who were brand new to me. And I was shaking hands after service. They're coming through one after another. And, uh, you know, and i have trying to greet them all, trying to get a name. And so one gentleman came out, an older gentleman. He said, That was a nice show today. <laughs> I didn't. I uh, didn't know what to say to him. I thought oh, that was a nice show today. He caught me off guard, and then I'm I'm thinking about that statement, those very precise words, and uh, I'm kind of soul searching to say, I, "What did I do? What did I do? What was it, why was that a show?" And I'm. Meantime, I'm trying to greet all the people as they come through, and my mind is is just following this thought, and and uh, he just walks on. He seems happy, and. Uh, I later discovered that the man was uh, was a senior and he was a brand new Christian. He'd hardly ever been to church before. And so it was all the same to him, a show, a worship service. He just meant I enjoyed being here. It's not what I heard, but I grew from it. And I said to myself, I hope no one ever walks out thinking, well, it was a great show. It was a great show. It was a moment of growth. It was a moment of evaluation. It was a moment of saying, Lord, I trust you will be honored in every worship service that you will be the focus and 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 not a worship team or not a pastor or anybody else, but that you will be the focus. What's involved in evaluation? Well, checking our words, guidance, growing in awareness. Growing in awareness. The value of having a mentor in your life is that he or she has the opportunity to make you aware of some things in your life that nobody else will tell you. Haven't you ever thought, of, uh, as you've observed a person, oh, if I could just knew how to say it, if I just had the courage to say it, how they're coming across. If, if they could just see their blind spots, if somebody could just help them see their blind spots. And uh, that's a very difficult thing to do. But if someone asks you, would you help me grow? Would you help me grow? That's a completely different scenario. Jesus identified the blind spots in the lives of his disciples. A blind spot is something an individual does or says that he or she needs help with, but doesn't know it. That's a blind spot. Can I show you another passage in John chapter 13, verse 36? You know these verses well. Well, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Oh, wow. There's a bit of a reality check. Peter had a blind spot. He was quick to say what he would do and how strong he would be. But Jesus was a very honest counselor. When he heard an unrealistic opinion, he didn't let it go. He challenged it. The closest friend you have is the one who will help you deal with your blind spots, your exaggeration, the unrealistic opinion of yourself. People who will not put you down but at the same time not allow you to live in a dream world. And this is discipleship. This is what it takes to grow a strong man or woman of God. Are you in a relationship of that kind of caliber? Are you mentoring somebody else? And have they given you permission to say those kind of things? My friends, it's rare. These kind of relationships are rare. If you're in one like that, you are so blessed. Finally, accountability is a key word in in evaluation. Growing in accountability. Most people have no argument about being accountable to God. But when we think of giving an account to anyone here on earth, (laughs) that can be a touchy matter. Because it's so awkward. It's rare today when anyone calls another to account for his or her deeds. Friends, I think we're in desperate need of people who have earned the right through a mentoring relationship to ask a friend the tough questions and to let them ask you. We would all grow in our discipleship journey if we could be that transparent. When you think of it, we live very private lives, very boxed lives. And yet Jesus demonstrated a relationship with his men that was filled with accountability. We would blossom. We would grow by leaps and bounds if we'd invite a friend to walk with us. And if we said, I give you permission to ask me how I'm doing in these areas of my life. Accountability, it'll keep churches strong in the years to come. It will keep organizations from financial disaster. Billy Graham realized that decades ago. And he put into place the Billy Graham Association, the BGA. And he said to his team and basically to the evangelical church that his financial books were open to all. Anyone could come and look at the books. That was a wonderful, that was a wonderful model And many other churches and ministry organizations learned from Billy Graham and from the BGA. And as a result, were steered in a right course. Would you think about these words that have come your way today? Why might this be a timely word for you? What is it you need in your life to keep you from growing stagnant? and to keep growing strong in the year ahead. I'm sure, like me, that you don't want to stop growing. None of us want to stop growing. The best days are ahead. Days of vibrancy and days of coming close to the heart of God. So some keys to personal growth. The words we use, growing in guidance, growing in awareness, and growing in accountability. And coming to the Lord's table this morning is an invitation to evaluate ourselves. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Whenever we come to the Lord's table, it's a time to examine. It's a time to evaluate. It's a time to put a monitor on our lives. And when Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he spoke words to cause the believers there to actually take a second look at what they were doing. There were some divisions in this young church family. And it was customary for the believers to eat together, and they would eat together in what was called a love feast or an agape feast. They'd all come together for a kind of a large potluck dinner. And uh, some abuses had crept into that. Some of the rich people brought food for themselves, and some of the poor people went away hungry. There were little cliques that formed within the group, and I was in my group, and you're in your group, and... Some of the members were uh, even getting drunk. And it was a time for Paul to speak up and he called the church back to, to what the Lord's Supper was all about. The Lord's Supper, or the Eucharist as we might term it, is a place to give thanks. And that's what we can do this morning with our words, with our mind, with our heart. We can give thanks. It's a place to recognize That before God, we all kneel at the foot of the cross. There's nobody that's in more than somebody else. The foot of the cross is level. We all kneel at the foot of the cross. We're all part of the body of Christ. We're all an important part of the body of Christ. And so this ordinance this morning... Uh, is just a very natural outflow of of what we've been talking about, a time to evaluate. Evaluate my words. How do I speak? Evaluate my heart. What attitudes, what feelings do I harbor? Evaluate my actions. How does my life match what I say? Paul says you should examine yourself before before you eat the bread and drink the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup, without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in the same way. So he says, my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other, wait for each other. Good words as we enter into communion. Wait for each other, pray for each other. Come to terms as, as far as you can in hurtful relationship. Do what you can do to bring peace to the relationship. Sometimes you can only go so far and sometimes you can only do so much. But do what you can do. Care for the body. Examine your own life and say, Lord, by the grace of God I come. By the grace of God I receive today. So I invite you this morning uh, to receive a piece of bread receive some juice from the cup, and say thank you to Jesus Christ for what he's done in giving his life on the cross for you. As the Church of England liturgy reads, come to the table, not because you're strong, but because you understand something of your own weakness. Come to the table, not because you feel worthy, but because you have a sense of your own unworthiness. Come not because you love God a lot, but because you love God a little, and want to learn to love God more.